Welcome to the Foresight Health Roundup podcast, Foresight Health's podcast series for healthcare revolutionaries. Outcomes matter, customers count, and value rules. Hello again, everyone. This is Dave Berta, news editor at Foresight Health. It is Thursday, April 6th. I hope you voted on Tuesday. If you didn't, I don't want to hear you complain about book-burning fascists trying to take over your local library and school boards. That's where it starts, and that's where you need to end it. Not on the beaches of Normandy, but in your own backyard. I read whatever I want, and I read that the ACA turned 13 last month. Happy birthday to the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act. To mark the occasion, we're going to talk about two ACA-related topics on today's show. First, a federal judge in Texas striking down a key provision in the law. And second, a holdout state finally voting to expand its Medicaid program. To tell us the good news, bad news of these two ACA birthday presents are Dave Johnson, founder and CEO of Foresight Health, and Julie Murchison, partner at Transformation Capital. Hi, Dave. Hi, Julie. How are you guys doing this morning? Dave? I'm back from Hawaii. Aloha. Tan, rested, and ready like Nixon in 68. So I'm raring to go, Dave. <laughs> uh, that's an image. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Julie, how are you? <laughs> I am well. I've been doing a little traveling again, not luxuriously like Dave, but did a tour through Vive and made my way through, you know, eastern Pennsylvania. So happy to be back in Seattle for a while. Good. Good to have you back. Now, before we talk about these ACA birthday presents, let's talk about your local elections. Dave, what was the most interesting local election where you live and did it turn out the way you wanted? Well, hands down, the most interesting race was the runoff election for Chicago's new mayor. From the original field of nine candidates, including the current mayor, Lori Lightfoot, it pitted the most conservative and experienced Democrat, Paul Vallis, against the most liberal and inexperienced Democrat, Brandon Johnson. In a very close race, and much to my surprise, Brandon Johnson won the race. A surge of new, younger progressive voters think Bernie Sanders Democrats fueled his victory. Was it what I wanted? No, I voted for Vallis largely because of his strong anti-crime message and significant managerial experience. On the other hand, Brandon Johnson's commitment to addressing root causes of crime is pretty interesting. If the new mayor's policies lead to less wasteful healthcare spending and more investment in social determinants of health, what I like to call, as you both know, healthy multipliers, without a lot of new taxes, I could become a real supporter. So let's see. Yeah, wish him well. Thanks, Dave. Julie, how about you? Anything interesting on the ballot by you? And did the vote go your way? Well, this made me feel a little bit insecure because I didn't really know that we had an election locally. So I looked up what happened and I don't think we had anything here. Is that possible? Yeah, it was a hot time here in Illinois, so there was a lot going on, especially locally. Uh, we had four Nazis running on our local school board on a joint slate with one of their pillars being, quote, curricular integrity, close quote. <laughs> we all know what that means. Yeah. Three lost and one is still a toss up. But, you know, Nazis, they'll be back. So we'll, we'll need to stay on our toes. We'll also need to stay healthy. And that's our first topic today. A federal judge in Texas struck down a provision of the ACA that required health insurers to cover preventive medical care recommended by the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. 
That's the group that recommends things like when to get cancer screenings, what lab tests to take, and what types of drugs to manage uh, chronic disease. The judge said the ACA provision was unconstitutional because members of the task force aren't appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. You know, they're just doctors and scientists, a bunch of hacks. I guess they need to be political appointees, you know, who know best. Can you say Invermectin? Dave, how do you think this ruling will affect health insurance coverage of wellness and preventive services? And how will it affect the shift from health care to health? First, let's talk about the judge, Reed O'Connor, who rendered this opinion, appointed to the federal court for Northern Texas by George W. Bush in 2007. Judge O'Connor has been among the nation's most activist conservative justices, but it's not just him. A colleague of Judge O'Connor's on the District Court of North Texas, Matthew Kaczmarek, is the judge that issued the ruling earlier this year that could eliminate nationwide access to the morning after birth control pill. That ruling is now on appeal to the Supreme Court. What is in the drinking water in North Texas? It also was Judge O'Connor who ruled that the entirety of the Affordable Care Act was unconstitutional in 2018 based on the elimination of the individual mandate. You remember that whole fiasco. After a lot of back and forth, the Supreme Court overturned his ruling in 2021 by a seven to two vote in an opinion authored by Judge Stephen Breyer. Here's a fun fact. In graduate school, I took an administrative law class taught by then future Justice Breyer. He was not only an accomplished legal scholar, he was also a skilled economist. Unfortunately, I found myself falling asleep during his presentations on administrative law and only perking up when his lecture turned to economics. So I dropped the class. <laughs> you couldn't, you didn't take a pass fail? Was that an action? No. The thought of reading all those law cases just really <laughs> overwhelmed me. But anyway, back to Judge O'Connor and his ruling against the ACA's requirement for funding preventative care screenings, it's remarkable that one judge can create such administrative havoc. You know, Dave, maybe I should have paid more attention to Judge Breyer's class when I, when I was taking it. <laughs> but regarding the ruling's impact on health insurance coverage, the general consensus is that the ruling will be appealed and won't have much immediate impact. The biggest lobbying group for health insurance plans essentially said this in a statement they issued immediately after the ruling. If the ruling does stay in effect longer term, it certainly will affect coverage of certain preventative screenings and treatments. These include many for cancer, particularly skin and lung cancer, statins for heart disease, and medications that prevent HIV. Some conservative religious employers, like those that brought the lawsuit, We'll use the ruling and others like it to stop funding birth control and drugs that prevent the spread of HIV, which these employers associate with homosexuality. Bigger picture, health insurance companies are economic creatures. Some, perhaps most, will begin assessing copays and deductibles for uncovered preventive care services. That, of course, will lead to reduction in their use, which is most unfortunate. Opinion shopping and the politics of these rulings are not helping the American people. They take the responsibility for determining appropriate medical care treatments out of the hands of medical experts and put them into the courts. With the current composition of the Supreme Court, it's not clear that 
our highest court in the land will be an effective buffer as it has been in the past against this type of judicial extremism. As you can undoubtedly conclude from my comments here, Dave, this ruling against ACA coverage of preventative care services, along with others like it, retard the desired shift from healthcare to health. This doesn't mean we shouldn't stop pushing for more and better preventative healthcare services, but it does make it harder to accomplish the goal of better health for all Americans. You know, I don't think the devil itself could create a more convoluted process for making and funding appropriate medical care services. Oy vey. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Thanks, Dave. Julie, any questions for Dave? Honestly, this whole thing is just so mind-boggling in terms of using religion and religious beliefs to actually control what we know is scientifically in our best interest. Like just, I can't even believe what's happening with this. And Dave, I noticed that the ruling does not impact self-insured employers. So, you know, you, you already commented really on what do you think plans will do in the end, but how big an impact do you think this really have? Well, to your first comment, it all makes my head explode like yours. It's just hard to believe this is how we make policy decisions on healthcare coverage. I think most self-insured employers will take a wait-and-see approach. Their policies won't renew for another six months, so there's no need to take immediate action. I think some, like we talked about, the religiously-oriented companies will use this right away to change the coverage they provide. Between now and the ultimate resolution of the case, probably in the Supreme Court, will develop a better perspective on the likelihood of that ruling getting overturned. If that doesn't happen, many health insurance companies will capitalize on the opportunity to charge copays and deductibles for preventive services that they previously offered for free. That's a negative. Fortunately, self-insured employers are in a marketplace. Markets reward companies ultimately that satisfy customer demands and create value. It's possible and even probable that many plans will still cover those screenings for self-insured employers that want them, and they'll broadcast this broadly as part of their marketing pitch to these companies because it's both what consumers want and because it lowers the overall costs of care delivery. The arc of the marketplace is long, but it does bend toward value. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, we do need to get back to this concept of separation between church and state. Yes, we do. Seems to be a big issue right now. Uh, now let's talk about the other big ACA news, and that's North Carolina finally voting to approve Medicaid expansion. Advocates have been trying to do that in North Carolina for more than a decade, obviously, over opposition from Republican lawmakers. Uh, North Carolina will become the 40th state to expand its Medicaid program under the ACA, and about 600,000 additional state residents would be eligible for health benefits under the state's Medicaid program. Julie, what's the good news here for the healthcare market in North Carolina? And do you think it'll cause other holdout states like neighboring South Carolina to follow suit? Well, if one thing is true, this is really about one thing, and that's money. And if you look a layer under that. I think North Carolina really wanted to take advantage of the federal financing and has a pretty severe rural hospital situation. And, you know, I think Republican lawmakers are recognizing that after 13 years, happy birthday, ACA, this thing is here to stay, right? 
and fighting it actually can work against them with the voters now. You know, on the federal financing front, North Carolina stands to have $8 billion flow their way, plus an additional $1.8 billion for implementing this year. So this is a big year to make this decision for another $2 billion, basically. I didn't really realize this, but, you know, North Carolina is the number three state in the U.S. with the most rural hospital closures since 2005 behind our friends in Texas and Tennessee. So they've had a ton of rural hospitals closed since 2005, which puts them in a, a bad situation. The, the hospital association has been very, very active on that front. And I saw a great opinion piece in Washington Post with the title, It's Time for the GOP to End Its Desultory Anti-Obamacare Crusade. And honestly, for Republicans, this is really about the fact the ACA is called the Obamacare. Like, it really might be time to rebrand it in some way. So for North Carolina, I think this really came about after, as you said, a decade, but long time, pretty aggressive negotiations. And similar to Virginia, the voters really were, you know, in great majority wanting to see this happen. And it became clear that there was enough of a voice to really negotiate against the Republican Party. I think in other states, like if you look at the map of this, there's a huge cluster of states south of North Carolina that have not expanded Medicaid. And then you have Texas, of course, and then Wyoming, Wisconsin, and Kansas. And, you know, from what I've read, places like South Carolina, Dave, are not necessarily in the same position of even having a negotiating voice on the other side of the table to try to push this through. And there have been, you know, several attempts in some of these states to to try to rally some troops and have gotten nowhere. So I think, you know, most people think this is probably the last state to go for a while. Wow. Wow. That's interesting. And the connection between expansion and uh, rural hospital closures is really interesting. Thanks, Julie. Dave, any questions for Julie? You know, when I was in fourth grade, we learned this song, 50 Nifty United States, and sang it at a school function. When it comes to Medicaid expansion, we've only got 40 Nifty United States. Julie, I want to ask you about the other 10 that you just referenced, the bulk of which are in the Southeast. And I'm wondering to what extent not expanding Medicaid is creating the potential for collapse of the healthcare delivery system, particularly in rural areas in states like Mississippi and Alabama? Yeah, so there's a pretty scary stat that 74% of rural hospital closures since I believe 2005 have been in states that have not expanded Medicaid or where expansion has been in place for less than a year. So effectively the same thing, 74%. So you have to think there's correlation there. And, you know, in November, the Mississippi State Health Officers told lawmakers that 38 rural hospitals, or effectively just over half, 54% of Mississippi's rural hospitals in the state could collapse. So the correlation here is that when Medicaid isn't expanded and with what's happening with, you know, redetermination, rural hospitals are going to pick up all of that. And while there is a funding mechanism for, you know, their being able to deal with those costs, or at least deal with the lack of revenue, that the cost structure can't handle it. So, you know, I do think that we're going to have a massive rural hospital situation in those states. And the 
Our hospital associations at the federal and state level have been really active, I think, on this Medicaid expansion issue as it relates to rural hospitals. But, you know, like I said before, Obamacare is raining for these Republican leaders. And I saw something else. Another representative wants to rebrand it as Trump Care since the ACA had, you know, four years of Trump leadership. So maybe that would help. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I I don't know if that would help, but that's a an interesting idea. Thanks, Julie. Medicaid expansion is a no-brainer, and so is insurance coverage of prevention services. The key word in that last sentence is brain. And we need more people to use theirs to make the healthcare system work better for its customers. And that's us. Now let's briefly talk about other big healthcare news. Uh, Julie, what else happened this week that's worth mentioning? Well, uh, something that happened in the last couple of weeks that I was shocked by is that Mark Bertolini came out from whatever he had been probably quite happily doing in retirement to be the new CEO of Oscar. So uh, watch out. Health insurance is getting some old blood in. That caught my attention, too, because he, he ran Aetna, right? Correct? That's right. That's right. And I interviewed him once at a trade show, and he showed up to the interview with bodyguards. <laughs> and this is a lot. That's when I knew that healthcare was serious business. Dave, what are what other healthcare news should we be talking about? Well, first on Bernalini, what a really interesting guy. I talked to him after the sale of Aetna to CVS and said he was giving me strategic whiplash because they tried to merge first with Humana. And so how do you go from a horizontal integration to a vertical one? And his response was fantastic. He said, you may or may not believe me, but the intention was always to merge with CVS. I just needed to get big enough at Aetna, the potential merger with Humana, so that I could write the check. So when the government came out against the Humana merger, my first call was to Larry Monroe and saying, well, Larry, you get to write the check. So I'm glad to see him <laughs> back in the game. But anyway, on my news, it is my humble, and I mean truly humble honor to report that I am now a movie star. I am among the many experts <laughs> interviewed in the documentary film, American Hospitals Healing a Broken System. It premiered last week in Washington, DC. The documentary is a fair but hard-hitting portrayal of the dysfunction afflicting care delivery in American hospitals. It presents a damning critique of the current system's negative impact on both patients and caregivers. But it's not a diatribe against hospitals. It also portrays progressive attempts at reform, like Maryland's all-payer model with global budgets, to promote payment reform that really does improve outcomes and cut costs. So go buy some popcorn, see the movie. It's worth it. That's great. I'll see if it's playing at Studio Movie Grill in Wheaton. And if not, send me the link. It will do. <laughs> All right. All right. I'll follow your Instagram feed. <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we knew we knew him when. That's, that's right. That's... <laughs> Red carpet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Thanks, Dave, and thanks, Julie. Yep. And that is all the time we have for today. If you'd like to learn more about the topics we discussed on today's show, please visit our website at foresighthealth.com. And don't forget to tell a friend about the Foresight Health Roundup podcast. Subscribe now. And don't miss another segment of the best 20 minutes in healthcare. Thanks for listening. I'm Dave Berta for Foresight Health. <laughs>